This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Bryce Pinkham, and we cover a little bit of everything from acting and shifting to directing, following the butterflies, uh, a gentleman's guide to love and murder, and how even if I make the wrong choice, it's going to be okay. And so much more. So I hope you enjoy this part one with Bryce Pinkham. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe. And today with me on Zoom is Bryce Pinkham. Bryce, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. This is so great. I, I can't wait to dive into the acting career, the directing career, and everything else in between that you cannot find online about you. So let's get right to it. Uh, going back to the beginning of time for you, what were your entertainment dreams growing up? It's funny, you know, I, um, my parents were called into a parent teacher conference in the first grade. And I believe the teacher said something like, can you please find your son an outlet for his reckless creativity? Please find him a stage other than my classroom. Uh, and so we, we still credit, uh, Mrs. Welch today as being sort of the catalyst for, for all this. Um, because to be honest, I don't think my, um, my initial introduction to theater and performing was because I saw it and it was something I wanted to do. I think it was, my parents were like, you're going to do this now. <laughs> like, we're going to send you here, uh, after school because these are the people you can um, try and make laugh rather than the students in your class. So, um, you know, my entertainment dreams sort of grew from what I was exposed to. Uh, and so early on, you know, the first show I ever did, this is going to be a shocker to many, was The Music Man. Um, <laughs> you know, I was in the kids chorus of The Music Man, The Music Man and... Um, so, yeah, my entertainment dream was pretty quickly became Harold Hill. And I was, you know, out in the backyard trying to memorize all the words to trouble um, is the first thing I remember, quote unquote, working on. You know, I wasn't thinking yeah. about it as work. I was just like, oh, my gosh, I have to I want to be able to do that. <laughs> um, and so. So I guess it, it, it started like. Um, it started with wanting to to imitate those people. And, and you know, I had a I was in the generation where uh, Les Mis and Phantom were were, you know, cast albums that I was gifted as a kid because I clearly showed some interest. And so I was I grew up in California and I remember seeing like Broadway cast album and thinking like, oh, I, I, I'd love to be with those people someday. Um, but again, I wasn't I wasn't hyper focused on. I have to do this or my life will mean nothing. I, I was uh, very much into sports growing up. I think in one of my, you know, fifth grade yearbooks, they asked all the students, uh, what, what, what do you want to be when you grew up, when you grow up? And my answer hmm. is something like, uh, you know, second baseman for the San Francisco giants. So I was really, you know, I was really focused on sports and, and I grew up in, in scouts as well. So there's a lot of like outdoor time and, and theater was just like, um, an outlet and a serious, I, you know, I took it seriously, but it was like a serious hobby. I wasn't sort of like, I will be the next, you know, um, 
you know, the next this, I was, I was much more like, it was something I did for fun in the summers. And, you know, it was, it was where all the girls were. <laughs> um, so, so at a young age, I think my, my, my priorities were not sort of entertainment business. They were really kind of like, well, this is a blast. And, and um, thankfully I had, I had um, parents who really allowed that to be enough and weren't, weren't pushing me to, to do more with it. I think they all knew sooner than I did that I was going to do this for my life um, because in a way I was just sort of called to it and, and, and suited. Um, but, but it took me a while to realize that I wanted to. So entertainment dreams, I don't know that that's a, uh, I guess I didn't have them specifically growing up. They kind of grew over time. And um, frankly, like I'm, I'm, thrilled and lucky to say that uh you know, a number of them have come true i've i've gotten to perform on broadway and um you know premiere shows uh one of which you know went on to win a tony award and like i don't know when i skipping ahead to one of your your next questions i think uh sometimes it's easy in this business to to think like wow have i done anything you know have i ever done anything of worth like i'm not I'm not, it's easy to suddenly find yourself not proud of yourself. Like, I don't know how to describe that any better, but one of the tips that I use is I actually scroll back through these sort of like accomplishments and achievements and go, no, hang on a second. Mm. <laughs> you Hang on a second, you self-doubter. Let's look at the facts. Um, and not in a sort of boastful way, but just in a sort of um, prop yourself up kind of way that says, no, I've, I'm, I'm very lucky to say that I've done some Broadway shows and I've done plays and musicals. And, and, um, as I say, one in particular, you're lucky if you get one in your career mm -hmm. that, that, that you can say, uh, you know, was the toast of the town. And so when I was doing gentleman's guide, I was like, wow, this is it. This is my toast of the town um moment and and that was an entertainment dream was sort of like i'd love to be at the ball one year you know mm -hmm. i'd love to be cinderella at the ball one year so um a lot of my enter entertainment dreams have have come true and and i'm sure we'll talk about what happens after that um which is really interesting territory well let's get into it what was the um shift for you you know i mean of course you're still performing but what is this shift into directing and other aspects of you know live theater or tv and film even how are you viewing that and and what was that shift well i think i'll always be i think my dna is a is a theater person i think it's what i understand it's what i instinctually i think my first grade teacher was saying hey this guy is trying to make the stage a classroom um, which is obviously not okay. Um, but something something in me, even though I identify as an introvert, something in me enjoys like being in a room full of people and hearing them laugh um, or, or, or feeling their collective focus. Um, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a different way of saying being the center of attention. Um, <laughs> but 
I think I'll always be drawn to that on some level, but I would say from a practical life perspective, you know, um, doing eight shows a week is really a, a young person's game um, for the majority. And at least for this, um, you know, middle part of life that I've hit now where I have two young children, you know, we live outside of New York City now. Um, so there's just more sort of practical obstacles to doing eight shows a week all the time. And, uh, you know, riding the, the roller coaster that is being an actor looking for work all the time. Um, so there's a practical aspect to wanting to branch out and, and find other avenues of making a living. But um, creatively, you know, I've, I've, always, um, I've always been stimulated by, uh, by a challenge, by what scares me, by something new, um, by the unknown. And, you know, it's like, where do the butterflies show up? And what I'm teaching, sometimes I say to my students, like, follow the butterflies, you know, because they're, they're usually an indication that you care about something, mm. you know, you're not nervous unless you care about it. And so, mm. um, you know, the butterflies have been leading me in, in, in different directions and <clears throat> trying to find uh, different avenues to express that, that reckless creativity. Um, and so, yeah, directing is one of those um, that I'm still, you know, dipping my toe in. Uh, I have to say, I like directing as an actor because I like thinking that I know um, how to talk to actors. Or like, I, I, I like, you know, imagining what I would want to hear and then getting to say that. Uh, and so that that's a that's a fulfilling um, that's a fulfilling relationship with other actors, uh, you know, in a positive way, in a negative way, you could see it like, well, I've been directing all the shows I've been in, in my head for years. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I do enjoy the, the, not pressure, but I guess the stakes of, of, you know, ultimately somebody has to make the decisions and, um, in my, my most recent uh, experience directing some students at my alma mater, Boston College, I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, just sitting and listening to everybody's ideas and sort of coalescing them. And then again, when I, when I reflect on my own abilities as a decision maker in times of doubt or lack of clarity, I say to myself, of, no, you, you've made some pretty good decisions. You've made some bad decisions, yes. But on the whole, the majority, if you had to put, you know, good versus bad, like you, you're, you're, you're pretty good at making decisions on average. And so then I'm like, okay, cool. We'll put all the facts and all the evidence and all the, all the you know, emotional intelligence in front of me and I'll make a decision and then I'll live with it because what else can you do but choose? So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying thinking about doing more of that and, uh, and, and the butterflies, you know, even talking about it, I'm like, wow, are you really going to say that? You know, they, they show up because that that's scary. And, and, and I think it's scary because I would care about it. Um, and I certainly have whenever I, whenever I have directed, you know, I sit on the squirmiest 
I'm the squirmiest uh, director just sitting there watching watching his own show. Uh, you don't want to sit next to me at one of my shows. <laughs> Do you um, have any mentors when it comes to directing? And are there any standout lessons that come to mind? Well, most of my mentors have been... Um, have been acting teachers, you know, some of which have been directors as well. And then of course, you know, the directors that I've worked with over the years, um, I don't know that I would say anyone's uh, directly mentored um, my, my process as, as a director. It just hasn't, hasn't evolved far enough yet. Other than I will say Scott Ellis, who, um, who I had some early meetings with about wanting to direct and, and, you know, Scott just, uh, Scott grew up an actor as well and transitioned to directing and, and he just encouraged me, you know, sometimes the, the biggest thing you need from a mentor is someone saying, yes, keep going. Yes. I think you'd be great at that. Keep going. It's going to be hard. Keep going. Um, and that's what Scott did for me. He said, yes, go do it that's the way you learn how to do it is you do it. Um, you know, the more you plan out how you're going to do it, the the longer it's going to take. So just go. Um, and on top of that, I will say, you know, mentorship also happens by example. And the, the, the time that I've been happiest as an actor have been in rooms with directors who have given me space and agency to, create and who I have in turn trusted to shape that creativity into something engaging and watchable and that fits the greater goal of the evening, which is always a story mm. of which an actor is a part of, you know, as much as we like to feel like, Hey, it's my night. Here I am world. It's really not the case. Like the, the, the audience is here for a story and, Yes, we may at times get to play a significant role in that story, but it's still here for the story. And the director, um, having you know had the tiniest of experiences doing it now, I really experienced that in a in a in a way I never could as an actor. I'm not actually watching every single actor; I'm watching the whole story as it's playing out. And you know, in in rehearsal rooms with people like Scott Ellis. Um, I have felt a great joy at the art of creation. I have felt a trust of the failure inherent in getting to um, something you can be proud of. I don't think that happens without making a mess and without, you know, getting it wrong. And so building rehearsal rooms uh, that court that failure in a joyful way, knowing that it's a stepping stone, a lily pad to ultimately where you want to be. Um, that's, that is the piece of mentorship that I have taken from directors that I've enjoyed working for um, the most, uh, names of which I will pull from the archives as we, as we continue to chat. But Scott is the one that, um, that comes to mind. Is there a particular project or role 
that has taught you the most about yourself? Um, well, I think, the, you know, I probably always end up talking about Gentleman's Guide because it was such a pivotal moment for me in my life and my career. And the role was um, massive. I mean, it was just such a, such a, um, it was such an ordeal um, doing that role for a year and a half. And ultimately I did it, I accumulated two years doing it. And, you know, you're sort of as Monty Navarro, you're on stage practically the entire time and you don't stop moving. And, you know, I was probably in the best shape of my life. And I think what I learned about myself doing that role, or at least what I gained, the biggest thing that I gained doing that role was confirmation of the positive voice in my head that said, you can do this and you can do this at a high level and you can, you're not wrong. You know, it was confirmation of that voice not being wrong. The one that kept pushing me past all the previous rejection and not getting to be in uh, shows that I thought I was right for and all that stuff. It was confirmation that that voice that kept me going was right. And that's an extremely powerful, uplifting force when you get it. Um, you know, I didn't go to school for musical theater. I went, I went to drama school. And so I always sort of felt a little bit like an underdog, like a fish out of water going into musical theater auditions. Mm -hmm. Even though I loved it as a, as a boy, I sort of didn't, you know, I didn't find myself in a musical theater conservatory. So I always had a little bit of a, I still do have a little bit of an imposter complex when it comes to being in musicals. Um, and that's the majority of what I do. So, you know, it's an odd dynamic, but Gentleman's Guide gave me that confirmation that, you know, no, you belong here. And like, you, there's a place for you here. Um, and, and it was such a physical challenge that it tapped into a sort of, um, you know, latent athlete in me that I was also cultivating as a, as a young age. You know, I loved being active. I loved being athletic and running around and exerting myself. And for whatever reason, you know, that I really needed that as a kid. And this brought all that together in a way that I felt like I was an athlete every night, keeping my trying to keep my body in shape and, you know, do a year's, I think we did, let's see, we opened in October or we previewed in October and the Tonys were in June, you know, so we did that entire run without missing a show. Jefferson and I both did that entire run without missing a show. Oof. And, and that felt like being in a major league baseball season without missing a game, you know, it was, and we took it that seriously. We, we, we really did. And, and knew that, knew that we had something special on our hands, but that nothing was, nothing's guaranteed. And that, you know, we didn't want to, we didn't want to let the show down. Um, and so I think what I learned about myself is that I was capable of something like that. That I was capable of marshalling that discipline and athleticism and confidence to, to help um, carry a show, a little show that could. 
When it comes to decision making, how have you gotten better at listening to your gut? Um, yeah, well, I think I've gotten, I would say I've gotten used to talking to my doubt. <laughs> I've gotten used to talking to my critic, you know, um, and so when he shows up at first, um, at first, I think it's me. I think that I'm doubting myself, but actually I've gotten, I've gotten more accustomed to realizing, oh, oh, it's you. It's you, my little fearful, you know, scared little one who, you know, was told at some point that you were too loud or too, too reckless or that if you did that you wouldn't be liked or you know people are not gonna like you if you make the wrong choice like all that stuff you're you're gonna be a disappointment I get any times I get any anytime I get those sort anything in the sort of that theme I'm able to go oh hey it's you my critic thank you for protecting me I appreciate it I know that you're here because you're worried about me but I'm I'm gonna be okay even if this is the wrong choice, I'm going to be okay. So thank you. You can take a seat in the sidecar, but I'm driving and I, I have a track record of decent decisions in the past. I'm going to make sure I have as much information as possible in front of me. And even if it's not the decision that I would want to make, if under better circumstances, based on what I have in front of me, it's the best decision I can make. And I'm going to stand by that and, you know, take me to decision court, but I'm doing this. And so I guess I would say that's, that's my process of, of trusting my gut is I usually have, when my gut says this is right, I usually have an immediate response from my critic that says, no, it's not, no, it's not. It could be wrong. It could be wrong. And I have to sort of like separate the two, talk it out, think it out. I do really enjoy collaborators who will give me um, kind and honest feedback that shares a goal. You know, sometimes you feel like, well, why would you say that? That feedback doesn't, doesn't feel like we hold the same goal of making this thing meaningful, powerful, good, you know, watchable, <laughs> fill in the blank. Um, but as long as I trust that we all share the same goal, then I love having feedback. Um, and that goes for when I'm an actor too. Like I love getting notes and I love being able to correspond about them and say, oh, that's really interesting because I was thinking about it this way. Um, but now I take your point. I'm so glad you brought it up. And suddenly I've got a whole new sort of avenue to run down and play down a different street. You know, as long as it's um, done with kindness, I find that um, the feedback and critique is really useful. And, and especially if it's coming from, you know, if you're a director, if, you're, if you've got a team of people who are all storytellers with a different expertise, I can, tr I can call that team together, you know, lighting, movement, costume, set design, all those, you know, designers are storytellers and creative people too. So I can say, Hey guys, are we, are we, are we getting the story here? Cause this is what I think the story is. Are we feel like we're seeing that 
Yeah, I'm seeing that. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Okay, cool. Then I'm going to tell my, I'm going to tell my critic to shut up because I've got confirmation from trusted sources that we're seeing that story. And, or they'll say, yeah, no, actually that's not, I'm, that is not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this, or I don't know what I'm seeing, but it's not that. Mm -hmm. And then I can go, okay, great. My, my gut is right. We haven't, we haven't quite, we haven't quite framed that moment correctly to serve the story that we want to tell, that we all agree we want to tell the story. Um, and then like once I'm, once I'm sort of getting confirmation of either side, my gut or my critic, mm. then I can move forward and make an educated decision that's not entirely impulsive. Sometimes we have to trust our impulses. And I know that as an actor, that my impulse is usually 75% of the time, my impulse is pretty good. It might not be the ultimate um, landing spot for a choice, but my impulse is usually like, I think it's over here. And 75% of the time, like our impulses are, are heading us in the right direction. And so I do have to trust them, but I also try not to be entirely impulsive, particularly in the director's chair. When it comes to choosing, the the pieces of theater you work on how has your taste evolved my taste <laughs> well it's always funny to talk about choice um like you know as if we have a lot of it i certainly feel <laughs> like if you're lucky enough to extend a career you know past your sort of um startup phase mm. um then, you know, more choice does begin to present itself. I think when you're in your startup phase, your choice is, do I want to work as an actor or not? Um, and sometimes the answer is no, I don't. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather wait. For, I don't want to go to that place and do that thing. I'd rather stay here and work my survival job and wait for the next thing that I, that I will want to do. So it's not to imply that you should just do anything. But in an early phase of your career, it certainly felt like for me, I was like, well, do I want to work or not? And the answer was usually yes for me, which is why I started getting into musicals. Because, you know, by, by the numbers, the more auditions and jobs that were avail available to me were musical theater. So do I want to work or not? That was my taste. Um, and now I think... You know, my taste has evolved to how does this project support or not my sort of why, my why, do, why am I doing this? Um, and I think the pandemic really forced a lot of us, myself included, to ask ourselves that question. Why are we coming back? Why are we so desperate to come back and do this? Um, and what is it about not having it that we miss so much? And for me, the answer that I could come up with as simple as it may sound was in fact, laughter and both the laughter shared in a workplace where people are silly and creative and enjoy making each other laugh. You know, that's, I'm not getting that. I don't think if I'm going to work in a, you know, respectfully in an office job, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that I'm getting that same level of banter, 
you know, just with my coworkers. That's an echo of Bryce in his first grade, grade classroom, wanting everyone to just have a good time. And I think that that part of doing this really serves something in me. It's like, I like goofing around <laughs> and I can do that in a controlled way at this workplace. So that fits. Um, but on top of that, I felt like, you know, our world is a scary, tricky, you know, daunting place for all of us right now. And maybe always, but I think it really heightened, you know, over the past few years and moving forward with everything. And I read an interview with um, Melissa McCarthy recently in which she said, this is what I do. This is what I know how to do. This is my skill set. And I don't have any skill set that might serve, you know, solving the climate crisis or ending any of the other number of issues with our modern world. But what I can do is give people an hour and a half of respite from that struggle and lighten their load a little bit with through laughter, through a release of comedy and laughter. And I, and that really hit home for me. Um, you know, I think Melissa McCarthy's a, a master of her craft, but I certainly feel like um, I went through the pandemic thinking, well, I've got to do something. I've got to quit this and I've got to go to climate change school and figure out how to solve this big problem so we won't have it anymore. <laughs> you know, and and it just took me a while to realize, no, what 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 we do does um help. I think we can always do more, but as storytellers and really I think in the professional Broadway world, we're really entertainers. Yes, we're storytellers, but we're really in the business of entertainment. And it's hard to remember that that business is a service industry in a way. You know, mm. we're giving people an hour and a half, two hours uh, off from the world. We're taking them somewhere else. And we're, re we're hoping, our greatest hope is that they leave their time with us just a little bit lighter just a little better prepared to go do it, to go fight whatever fight they're fighting again tomorrow. Mm. Um, and sometimes in a business that forces you to be so self-centered because I am my business, you know, I am the product of my business and, you know, that's tricky in a lot of ways, but it, I have to be somewhat self-centered and focused on me. And so that feels has always felt to me icky in a way. And so remembering that what we do is not always about us, that it is indeed, even on shows where you're like, I was terrible tonight. You know, one of the favorite things that people remind each other backstage is, yeah, but you don't know who was out there who really needed that and doesn't know you were terrible tonight. And that's always a way to go home and be like, okay, cool, see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.